This is In the Trenches, Broadcast 9. Welcome to In the Trenches, where entrepreneurs, artists, writers, designers, inventors, warriors, and leaders share their stories of doing the hard, creative work that impacts all of our lives. Let the journey inspire you to do something worthwhile, build something bold, and create your life's work. And now, your host, Tom Morgus. Welcome, everybody, to another broadcast of In the Trenches. Today's guest is a friend of mine and an online marketing strategist named Tommy Walker. Now, Tommy has a blog. He is the host of the Mindfire Chats and Inside the Mind, and he does a bunch of other really cool stuff. But bottom line is this. He really knows what he's talking about when it comes to marketing and getting results online or off. And we really dig into a lot of the stuff that he's done and what he's done to help other people um, market successfully online and off. So this actually, this interview was about an hour long, so I had to cut it in half. Uh, to make it about 30 minutes each. So the first part, we really dive deep into uh, crowdfunding, like Indiegogo and Kickstarter. And the second part, we get into some more great content regarding content marketing and some other stuff like that. So stick around. I think this will be really helpful for anybody trying to start their own business. Um, and this goes for writers, entrepreneurs, or really anybody in between who's trying to tell a story about what they do. So without further ado, here's the interview. All right, Tommy, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, absolutely. So I'd like to start just by uh, getting to know you a little bit um, better and letting the audience get to know you. So tell us a little bit about Tommy Walker, your website, and kind of what you do. Sure. So uh, Tommy Walker, I am an online marketing strategist, a video host, a uh, amateur animator, and um, blogger, right? I talk mm-hmm. about online marketing strategy. I try to do it in a way that not many other people are doing, but introducing uh, humor and also deeper concepts uh, to the, the online marketing conversation. And I'm um, generally just trying to people help people understand how to use the internet and how other people use the internet in a way that is um, not obtrusive, I guess, mm-hmm. but also entertaining and informative and uh, to sell your products. Uh, let's see, the reason that came about, the reason I take my approach the way I take my approach is because for several years, uh, for about 18 years, I guess now, well, 17 years now, uh, I trained to be a performer. Um, when I was 10 years mm-hmm. old, I, I got into acting and, uh, I trained to be a career actor for a very, very long time. Um, and I graduated from a film acting conservatory, the only strictly film acting conservatory in the entire country. And, Interesting. Uh, when, when I decided to um, make the switch from acting to marketing, uh, for a long time I tried to pretend that I wasn't an actor. And then when I started to actually embrace that, um, that's when things really started to go much, much better for me because I was bringing kind of everything I, I knew together. And, uh, and now here we are, I guess. Yeah, no, that's, that's a pretty interesting story, actually. Um, <laughs> especially in terms of just how you, you mentioned just at the end there that finally kind of taking your skills that you had had built up until that point and applying them to the marketing world and to your online business and how that had an impact on what you do. And so what I noticed, in, and for the um, listeners out there who might not be savvy with it, I've seen your, your marketing show, um, Inside the Mind. So 
Can you tell us a little bit about that and how maybe your acting skills uh, played into uh, or your, your background in acting um, played into that? Sure. So um, one of the things that I noticed kind of in the video series that are out there that are related to online marketing in particular is that it's a lot of talking heads in front of uh, whiteboards um, or uh, people just sitting in front of the webcam going like, oh, here's this marketing concept that I was thinking about. And um, mm-hmm. to, to me, uh, that's incredibly boring. Um, it, it's extremely boring because who wants to watch just a face in front of the whiteboard, right? And if you look at kind of the mm-hmm. culture of YouTube, um, those types of videos don't tend to do very well. Even people who are just talking to their webcam have a lot of editing and, you know, they, they make the information more dynamic and keep your attention uh, just through the presentation of the video itself. Mm-hmm. Um, back in December of 2011, yeah, uh, I read a book uh, that Jillian Smith had just put out, uh, Jillian Smith being the co-author of Trust Agents and the Impact Equation with Chris Brogan. He put out his own uh, free ebook. book oh, pardon me, um, on Amazon called The Flinch. Mm-hmm. And what the flinch is really about is identifying that moment before you have um, an idea that's going to be, you know, that's kind of out there. And uh, and just that, that moment where you, you kind of hesitate or choke up. Um, the One of the exercises he says to, he uses as an example is like, turn your shower on cold and then see what happens to your body before you decide to go in, right? Mm-hmm. You know that that shower is not going to hurt you. But it's this sort of instinct that we're pre-programmed to just kind of like flinch or tense up because that's how we're designed, right? If you're about to get punched in the face, um, your body is programmed to do that. Well, the same thing goes for creative ideas and and uh, new ideas that you um, that that are challenging. That might be a bigger challenge for you. So the whole book is about flinching forward, and it gives you exercises and practices to do that. Uh, the mm-hmm. show came about because I had read that and afterwards had decided I cannot hide from my acting background anymore. And if I'm going to put, uh, you know, I really wanted to do video, but didn't know how to approach it. And I said, if I'm going to do video, I'm going to do it in a way that um, only I'm capable of doing, right? Uh, right. Or only I'm capable of doing in this space. And that said, you know, well, I'm going to. I'm going to use humor because there's a lot of um, humor to be had in the online marketing space because there's a lot of ridiculousness sure. out there. Right. <laughs> and then Absolutely. the other part of that is, um, you know, how do I make this entertaining? And, uh, you know, I, coming from the acting background and, and writing comedy uh, when I was in school and um, doing a number of things like that, uh, that's just what ended up happening. That's just what came about. And, um, you know, we spent the first, we did the first episode. It took us about eight hours on set to shoot, 11 hours, about, yeah, mm-hmm. about 11 hours to shoot. Jeez. And then another 95 between the two of us to put together and edit. And um, the result was our first episode, and we loved it. And the people who watched it loved it. And we said, okay, mm-hmm. well, now this is what we're doing because this is, you know, people really like the idea. And, uh, and then we did 22 episodes. Originally, we wanted to do 24, but um, by the end, we were just so burnt out because there was a lot. There was a lot to a lot to do. Um, yeah, but yeah. Uh, how, 
I just had to butt in. How, how was that about standard for you then when it came to those uh, videos, shooting and editing and stuff like that? You spend about that much time doing each episode? Or, every, and I'm sure you improved over time. But. No, every episode is about 95 hours, uh, 95 man, man hours between the two of us because um, it was myself and my uh, my friend Josh um, mm-hmm. who he he had said, this is actually kind of interesting. When, when he had joined on, he had said, like, I don't know editing, but I know I want to help you. Um, this seems like a really cool thing that you're doing. And, uh, I don't know word one about what it is that you're talking about. Uh, maybe I'll, maybe I'll learn <laughs> by watching, but, um, but I want to learn how to edit video and, uh, you know, you're going to need help with this. So let me help you out. <clears throat> so, um, eventually he did get up to speed. Uh, but you know, I, like this is something I do in my spare time. So it's not something like mm-hmm. I'm not a professional video editor. So the time itself mm-hmm. would have taken, uh, you know, probably much less if either one of us actually knew what we were doing. Sure. Um, but it was what we needed to do in order to get the get what we wanted out. Um, and as soon as we figured out, like, as soon, like I'm a, I'm a stickler for quality and I always want to uh, absolutely increase the complexity after I feel like we've leveled out. So um <laughs> we'd get to a certain point where it's like, okay, yeah, this is easy. And I'm like, no, I want more. Give me a gun arm in this episode. Like, <laughs> yeah. let's, let's, it took us, we did, um, we did an episode where I had a, a little version of myself sitting on my shoulder yeah. and uh, <laughs> it took us five hours to just get all the equipment upstairs to a more open space and then shoot it, which was literally like, we were up there for maybe a half an hour shooting all the stuff. And then it took us another five hours to get everything. Like it, the the whole thing was ridiculous in in the in the long run, but um, it came out really well. That's our most popular episode. So, <laughs> right? No, that's that's interesting. It's a crazy amount of effort to put into it. And then, so it, I guess tied into that was um, where I first heard about you and what you do was actually through uh, your Indiegogo project, which was for season two. Yes. So, can you say talk a little bit about? I'm kind of curious about Indiegogo, your experience with it. Um, for those listening, it's it's if you're familiar with Kickstarter, it's it's similar to Kickstarter. I know it has some nuances that are a little bit different, but I'd like to hear your take on it, why you went that route, and and what you thought of it. Um, sure. Yeah. So one of the things I wanted to do with the show um, is we didn't monetize the show at all. Um, there were no mm-hmm. monetization efforts. Uh, well, we did have some like with an affiliate offer, but it was very loose and weak monetization offers, and it's because I didn't want to, um, you know, do the typical like. Hey, you watch my video. You like my stuff. Now buy products, right? Right. That, that's right. so overdone in this space. Mm-hmm. And my whole mm-hmm. goal with my with my video properties, anyways, is to uh, mainstream the concepts of online marketing. Right. That's why I use the sure. approach. And um, so, anyhow, uh, when we were talking about getting the second season off the ground, um, I said, "Well, why don't we do a Kickstarter project?" Right. And we we actually were originally going with Kickstarter, and uh, you know, I want to crowdfund it because I want to get people involved in the creation of the second season. Right. Um, you know, and people and people in my own audience were like, "Why don't you just create an info product and fund it that way?" And uh, you know, it's the whole idea is to change the way that this whole market is perceived, right? Right. Um, so I said, Let's, well, we're going to crowdfund it. We got all, I got all the creative, um, done. I actually did an interview with, uh, entrepreneur on fire, John Dumas over there about, uh, this whole process, what ended up happening. Um, long story short, I did put it on Kickstarter. Kickstarter rejected it last minute. We had a power outage and I had to find within a week, um, a new crowdfunding platform to go on. And Indiegogo is a lot more open with their guidelines. 
mm-hmm. um, and what they what they allow you to put on there. It doesn't have the same sort of brand recognition, but sure. um, but we put it on Indiegogo and and uh, ended up raising. Our goal was a hundred thousand dollars. We didn't come anywhere near that. We got just under five thousand. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was the the interesting piece about uh, the Indiegogo project is what that really taught us was where we were at, right? Our conversion rate on the on the project itself, and um, please tell me I, I have a tendency to ramble. So no, you're good. Uh, I'm interested. <laughs> what we had learned from the Indiegogo project was just how engaged our audience really was. And how many sure. people were there? So what we had found was that we converted at five point six percent, right? Which is an insane conversion rate. I was so happy to find that. Um, the problem was is that we didn't have enough reach, right? As a real, real quick to interject, five point six percent of and is that conversion rate based on like people that came to that web page on Indiegogo or yeah? What do you mean so by that? we had um okay. we had a total of um we had a, a total of. Uh, I don't remember how many funders we had right now, but it was 5.6% of the amount of people who came to the site actually contributed to the campaign. Um, right. So overall, um, what we had found was that uh, that's a great conversion rate and that people were really passionate about the stuff that we were doing. Um, I got a lot of good, good feedback on the show itself, but the, the problem was we just didn't have enough reach. Um, and what's interesting about that. I think is that as, as a content creator, um, you know, I, I create, you you create your content, not in a vacuum because you have, um, you have people that you're talking to, but, um, when you start to get a real metric on like, wow, this is what I thought I was going to be able to get. This is what we really got. Um, it, it gave me kind of a, a, a place where I can start the new year saying, well, this is how I'm going to increase that reach. Because if I know 5.6% of the people like what I'm doing, mm-hmm. um, if I increase my reach, then hopefully, uh, if we're not doing anything different, that same amount of people are going to really like what we're doing over here. And we just need to increase the kind of exposure. Right. So it became this really interesting sort of algebra equation of like, where do I go next? Right? Sure. I think that's something as a content creator, we often have a hard time with. Right. We were kind of going, like, yeah, what do I do next? What do I do next? What do I do next? Well, this gave me sort of a, a, a finite like, oh, OK, well, this is where we go next. We need to increase reach. And these are the things I know to do to increase reach. And now we're doing that. So uh, that, you know, kind of birthed my second show that we're doing now, the Mindfire Chats, where we interview um, big celebrity names, uh, you know, in both the online marketing and non-online marketing fields. Mm-hmm. So. That's kind of, I don't know if that actually answered the question or not, because I have a tendency to ramble, but, you know. No, I think that was a great, that was a really in-depth look at Indiegogo, uh, and there's a couple things that come to mind. First, um, I guess, digging back into what you mentioned about Indiegogo and the differences between that and Kickstarter, one of the things I've noticed was that I think Kickstarter is always, you have to reach your goal. Yes. So if you put 100,000, if you don't reach 100,000, the the people... You get nothing. The person like me contributing to it, I get my money back, so to speak. Right. So it's like, okay. Uh, but Indiegogo, you, I think, now I don't know if that you have an option to do that, but mm-hmm. is uh, how's the case with that? Or is it always just whatever you get, who whatever is contributed, you end up getting? No, so they give you two options, right? And basically mm-hmm. they say if you raise, if you hit your goal, then you get your goal minus 4% of the entire thing. Um, so that's cool, right? So um you 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 don't have to they don't take as much if you reach your goal 
um, which gives you an okay. idea of setting realistic goal campaigns and whatnot. If you don't mm-hmm. reach your goal, they have a flex funding option, which you don't have to take, but a lot of people like Indiegogo because it allows people to still contribute. Um, that says you can still get your money, but we're taking nine percent of everything um, for you know for handling all the transactions and all that type of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And what's interesting about Indiegogo too is that if you have uh, PayPal enabled then you get your PayPal payments right away. So, uh, oh, cool. so we saw, we saw kind of two influxes of, um, finance when, when people were, when the campaign was going live, um, people who donated via PayPal, we'd see that come into the PayPal account right away. Um, and mm-hmm. then we had, had to wait for the credit card transactions to process. But because we were on flex funding and because we had PayPal enabled, we got to get that money right away, which, um, which was, I mean, it, for, it, for us, it wasn't the same, but if it were uh, a different campaign, that would be extremely useful for getting stuff prepared for, um, you know, fulfillment. Sure. So, okay, I got a question on that. Then. Sure. What, what, what do you think of, I guess, two parts? One is the idea of going with that, where it's the flex, you know, your thoughts on the, the flex versus here's the hard line um, amount that we're going to ask for, say, you know, maybe 10000 in your case or 5000 if you had, had expected that. Mm-hmm. What would you say is pros and cons to going with flex versus a hard line? I don't. I guess I don't know how to describe that or, or the winner takes all sort of thing. And the second question I have too is, in terms of that, what do you do? You think that there was um, maybe a change in um, people putting money forward because you had put such a high goal? I'm curious, you know, what your thoughts are on that. So it's it's. Uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna address the first thing first, and then sure go from there. Um, mm-hmm. What's interesting about the flex funding campaign and the reason why we did it. Um, is and I think a reason why a lot of people do it is because you're not entirely certain if you're going to actually reach your goal and you still want to be able to receive the money, right? Mm-hmm. And that's really mm-hmm. useful for the people who are contributing because you want to um, to be able to do that. And I think that for us, um, and I can only speak for our experience, is that it was a very valuable learning experience to see that you know we had this many people come in and they they really liked what we were doing and um, and we saw a lot of familiar faces, but we saw a lot of new names that I knew were actually watching the show in the first place, but never really said anything. Sure. Um, but when I, you know, double checked my records and all that, I was like, Oh, you were an email subscriber. You've just never reached out, but you liked the show. Awesome. Um, mm-hmm. So that gave us a really good gauge on where to go next um, with the uh, fixed funding, right? That's, I think that's what they call it. Yeah. Fixed funding. Okay. Um, that's a really good uh, way to uh, show that you are confident in what it is that you are doing. And, um, what most people don't tell you, and this is something that I learned kind of too late in the process, is that doing a fixed funding campaign is great if you already have um, big ticket sponsors uh, lined up before your campaign goes live. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what a lot of that's a lot of the really successful uh, Kickstarter campaigns and a lot of the really successful. Um, this is primarily on Kickstarter because it's all fixed funding. Sure, it's um people have their big sponsors lined up. So you've got somebody coming in saying like, oh yeah, I'll give you like, you know, I have a conversation with you, Tom, you know, uh, mm-hmm. two or three weeks before our, the, the campaign goes live and say, hey, by the way, uh, next month, if you really like this idea that, you know, you and I are talking about right now over coffee, right? Right. Um, then, then I'm going to be having this thing. Can I put you down for $10,000? Mm. You know, and you say, yes, sure. sure, absolutely. Why not? I want... I want to have my name right. on that. That sounds great. You know, campaign goes live. I say, Hey Tom, it's live. And now you're like $10,000 and everybody else is like, Ooh, legit. And then yeah. they go for it. Um, 
I only figured this out as I was about halfway through my campaign and it was starting sure. to not, like, not do what right. I thought it was going to do. Um, as far as the psychology of it goes, um, I know that people, there are certain people in my audience who said that's way too much money. You're asking for too much. And the trouble with what we were doing is that uh, it, it came down to two things. One, the angle that we were approaching, like we needed that. And the reason why I have, we haven't started the second season yet is because we needed exactly the amount of money that we said we needed. Um, uh, uh-huh. um, so it was, you know, for us, it was a matter of like, this is how much a good production costs and where we're looking to take this show. This is what we need. We need this X, Y, Z equipment. Um, and no equipment doesn't do everything, but there's a certain point when you reach um, or you outgrow the equipment that you have, right? Mm-hmm. It's like with a, with a blog, right? If, if mm-hmm. at a certain point you're going to need to hire a very good designer, right? Mm-hmm. There's no way around that. And a good designer costs good money. Well, we wanted to do the same thing with our show. Um, sure. The, the trouble was, is that the angle that we were approaching it at was, you know, we want to increase the production values, but the problem is, is that most people don't understand production unless you're in production. Um, so that cost is like totally unjustifiable. So why am I going to give right. you money? Because what are you going to do with it, right? And even though we gave all the spec sheets on everything that we we're buying and all that, that didn't really matter because it's like you can build that at home. You don't need to have the professional version. And it's like, well, actually, there's there's a certain quality that's sacrificed with DIY. So sure. Um, so what that really taught us, though, was that um, the the bigger uh, funding, right? Cause there are plenty of projects that get funded for a hundred thousand dollars, even more than that. Sure. Um, is that that is really more about the value proposition for the person on the other side, instead of us saying, you know, Hey, we're going to increase production values and it's going to be easier for you to watch, which is, yeah, that's how do you quantify that? Um, you would say, okay, we get to produce more episodes at a higher quality caliber that in case you're trying to pitch a certain concept to a client, we're going to have that covered and it's going to be presented in a way that they can understand so you can get more deals. Something along those lines. Sure. Um, so that's kind of what we learned from that. Uh, I would say that if you're uncertain, if you haven't booked, um, if you don't, if you haven't booked uh, big ticket sponsors ahead of time and you were going to do a crowdfunding campaign, go flex funding. Mm-hmm. If you already have people locked down, though, um, and you should absolutely lock people down before you ca- get your campaign to go live um, in your pre-campaign, make sure you have that happening and then go fixed funding because it shows more confidence in what you're doing. Does that, oh, interesting. Does that answer the question? Yeah, no, no, no absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. Um, if, I've, I've considered doing something like that or, or at, at some point in the future I intend – to do some sort of Kickstarter Indiegogo, I, I think, because I've always just been interested by the concept of crowdfunding, right. you know, and I, I think it's an interesting platform, and I do like seeing what people do and how they, they, uh, how they turn out in terms of success. I think one of the deceiving things, of course, like anything else, is that kind of bias, right? We see the successes, you know, in Kickstarter, but unless you're paying attention to some of the ones that don't get funded, you don't recognize the failures, and I'm sure there's probably, I don't know the statistics on it, but I'm sure there's a ton of, and failure is probably the wrong word for it, but there's a no, lot of things that don't get funded on Kickstarter. It's, it's failure, and um, it's it's mm-hmm. about a 46% failure rate. It's, you know, it just makes you wonder, like, you know, in terms of, like, it's probably a really good idea probably before you do a Kickstarter to 
look at the failures oh, as much the, as the successes. The interesting part about um, Kickstarter, and I think Indiegogo has the same stats available, is that they give you, there's a whole page that talks about its breakdown by category. Um, you know, typically we see this much success in the film, you know, mm-hmm. film area, in the animation area, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and uh, it's really, you have to pay attention to those stats and really dig into um, who it was that was, like, who's in those campaigns. And you need to be looking at both who was successful and who was who, who didn't do as well. Um, because there's a lot more to learn from the people who didn't do well than there is from the people who did. Um, yeah. I believe, you know, because these are, you know, it's it's what didn't I do? You know, you have to look at both, but it's like, if I were to run a campaign now, um, which I'm not going to because obviously I already asked for a bunch of people's money, but um, sure. if I were to run another campaign now, uh, and come at it with a completely different approach, um, simply because like you've you've got that experience, you've learned. Um, yeah. The other part is is that there are um, marketing agencies now that specialize in crowdfunding and will only take a uh, a a cut if they are successfully funded. Right. Yeah. It's interesting when you see these things kind of evolve and how they just kind of grow and these different like like tertiary kind of businesses pop up alongside them. So now you have this kind of cool crowdfunding thing. And now when people they see success, somebody wants to get in there and be successful, you see all these different businesses popping up, I guess, to to make sure that you're successful, right? Mm-hmm. These these consultants and things like that. Just kind of it's just interesting when you see it kind of grow uh, and evolve right in front of you, this platform, you know, for funding. Yeah. Well, and if you think about it though, it's like the the crowdfunding concept is actually not much different than, you know, pre-orders. Sure. Pre-sales right. and we've seen we've seen pre-sales happen, you know, way way longer than crowdfunding has been kind of an invoke thing. Um, sure. And it's the same type of idea, right? You need to make sure that you have, you know, a, a certain group of people locked down. And then because you've got three groups of people, the people who have the big money that they're going to they're going to contribute to your campaign because they like what you're doing and they believe in what you're doing. Um, typically speaking, that's venture capitalists. Right. If you were to look at the traditional world, um, right. you have the people who believe in your idea, but they they're kind of on the fence. And then you've got the people who are only going to buy if they're social proof um, saying, yep. that you know, it's that other people are going to do it. You need to have those first people locked down so you can, you know, show that big movement. Uh, early mm-hmm. on in the process, because if you don't if you don't gain traction within the first forty eight hours, your your campaign's doomed. You know, right? That's really what it comes it, down to. Is like, yeah. you know, if we had raised probably sixty thousand dollars within the first forty eight hours of the campaign being live, the rest of it would have taken care of itself. Yeah. Um, you know, and that that type of stuff that's that's a lot easier to get when you do the legwork of like securing the sponsors, like the big sponsors ahead of time. Um, so that's I mean that's what I learned. I could be completely off base, but uh, no, it, it, that sounds about right, especially based on everything that I've just kind of my own non-scientific studies of it and just watching uh, people's campaigns and kind of interacting with people who go through those campaign processes uh, on, on Kickstarter and Indiegogo. And you do notice some similarities between the successful ones. It's kind of like you mentioned, they they have backers essentially before they start. Yeah that back at initially and, and you always have that big run right in the beginning. So they're obviously pushing out on some multiple channels through different, you know, people that support or whatever, push it out to their audiences. So that's, I think one of the, the key ways you could probably make a successful Kickstarter for those listening. I, I would say rule number one is that, right? Yeah, absolutely. The other thing that we did was, um, uh, uh, guest, like we did a bunch of guest posts in a sure. 30 day period. Um, mm-hmm. 
but I had the post go live throughout the entire course of the month, um, mm-hmm. which I think if I were to look back on that now, I'd probably push everything closer towards a more consolidated, uh, you know, week long period, maybe um, simply because you want to have that, ex- uh, that appearance of being everywhere. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Looking at different campaigns now and talking to different um, agency heads, some of the things that they're doing, they, they they get giant press releases on places like you know TechCrunch and and the Mashable, like, and that's because you want that sort of exposure, uh, big exposure, right within that window. Um, otherwise, you're not going to do much. Um, Seth Godin did a really good campaign for his book, The mm-hmm. Icarus Deception, mm-hmm. and uh, and he did a ton of interviews ahead of time, and then that got people interested, and then you know. That everybody kind of signed on, and it's also Seth Godin. So, sure, you know. it, yeah, and it, it it goes back to I guess in terms of having that audience to a degree, yeah. uh, at least partially, because clearly Seth Godin has a large audience that he can go do something people are going to follow and and make sure that it's successful. For the smaller guys, though, I think it's that's I, I, one of the things that's probably disconcerting. I think, but for a lot of people, like attempting something like that, is that they, if they don't have that built-in audience, is Kickstarter or Indiegogo even worthwhile? And I guess, what do you think of that? I, I think so. I mean, I, I think it definitely is because um, you know it's it, it's a good way to get people behind your idea. If, it, it's a good way. A lot of people are doing launches through there, um, mm-hmm. but it comes down to the same basic principles, right? The big guy, Seth Godin, still did a a huge, um, you know. Uh, guest interview strategy before he he launched the campaign or as he was launching the campaign. So it wasn't just all a matter of like, you know, him relying solely on his audience. It was a matter of like, you know, I'm almost fairly certain that he probably approached some big name publishers and said like, Hey, by the way, I'm Seth Godin. Um, Mm -hmm. and I want to, I want to try this, uh, experiment out because the whole Icarus deception book was about, you know, how Mm -hmm. the publishing game has changed. Um, so and he wanted to do it as an experiment. I think right. that even if, even if what it really comes down to is, do you have those big sponsors top loaded? Doesn't matter who you are, because mm-hmm. if you do, mm-hmm. um, when you go live, you can look like a bigger deal than you actually are. Uh, yeah, see that's what, interesting. See what I'm saying? Absolutely. You know? Yeah, that makes sense. But it's a matter of like having that mission in the first place, and then approaching people and saying like, "Hey, by the way, like this is what I'm doing, and this is how it's going to benefit you and your audience." Um, mm-hmm. You know, I know you don't know who I am now, but if we get this thing going, like this is this is why it's important. Um, and that's the big part is like helping people to realize why your idea is important. Um, mm-hmm. And this really comes. I mean, if we had this back, kind of the the content marketing thing, right? Mm-hmm. It's the same type of idea. Why is why is what you're talking about important? Why should I read this article? Why should I invest my time with you? Why should I keep listening mm-hmm. to this interview? You know. Um, like that's really what it comes down to because without any of that, um, you know, you're just kind of wasting people's time. And that wraps up in the trenches broadcast nine. Now this is a two part interview because the interview ran so long that we broke it up into two parts. But if you want to check out the show notes for this episode, go to tommorcus.com slash broadcast nine. That's the number nine. So again, apologies for cutting short this interview, but I wanted to keep this broadcast about 30 minutes, which is what I try to do for every every uh, conversation we have here on In the Trenches. So stick around for the second part in the series, and we'll dive into content marketing and some other really cool kind of online marketing uh, information from Tommy Walker. Thank you, as always, for listening to In the Trenches, and I really hope you enjoyed today's broadcast. If you like what I'm doing with this podcast series, please consider going to iTunes and leaving a rating and review. 
anytime somebody rates or reviews uh, the podcast on iTunes, it gives the show uh, more visibility and reach on the iTunes store. So consider leaving a rating or review, and I'd just like to thank you in advance for doing that. I really, really do appreciate it. As always, keep doing the hard creative work. We need you. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. Thank you for listening to In the Trenches. Your creative work doesn't stop here. Join the resistance, the small but growing army of entrepreneurs and artists putting a dent in the world at www.tommorkis.com. Never fight alone. Join the resistance.